but here we go. Hi, and welcome back to another special episode of the Epic Experiment Podcast. This is episode 86, and I'm your host, Bruce. Now, tonight's a little bit weird. Uh, Lux is not available. I got no guests. It's just little old me. Um, but that's okay. We're going to try and uh, give you guys what you've been coming to listen for um, about uh, all sorts of different things when it pertains to commanders. So, um, thanks very much for tuning in. Uh, just me, little old Bruce, talking to you about commanders. So, a um, couple of things, a little bit of housekeeping. Uh, if you like the content each and every week, uh, you can check out more content uh, over on the lotuscouncil.com. The podcast gets uploaded there each and every week, and that is our home on the internet. Uh, however, there is more out there on the Lotus Council. You can find deck techs, you can find giveaways, you can find all sorts of cool things. But the best part, I'm going to be very honest with you, is the Discord. Um, the Discord is free to join, and it is full of loads of people who love Magic the Gathering and lots of them who are big EDH fans. So if you want to talk to somebody about your newest deck you're building, or about card suggestions, or about finance, or all sorts of other stuff as it pertains to uh, your deck, or to playing Magic the Gathering, the lotuscouncil.com is a great uh, avenue for you to get lots of great information, and just, just generally a really relaxed and friendly place for people to come in and be part of a great community. So uh, come and see for yourself. Uh, go and check com. The link to the Discord is right there. Um, and please mention the fact that the podcast here sent you. Uh, they're gonna, you're going to get treated well. I can promise you that much. All right. So tonight we're going to start with, um, we're going to start with our, uh, our Garbage or Great. So tonight, Garbage or Great is a real interesting one. It's a Worm Fang Crab, which is, I think, out of Judgment, I believe. Yeah, it's out of Judgment. So it's a creature with a Nightmare Crab, which is a very interesting um, creature type. It is a 3-6 for a 3 and a blue. And it says, Wormfine Crab can't be blocked. When Wormfine Crab enters the battlefield, an opponent chooses a permanent you control other than Wormfine Crab and exiles it. When Wormfine Crab leaves the battlefield, return the exiled card to the battlefield under its owner's control. Um... Worm Fang Crab. I just thought I'd have, it might be interesting just to check out what a Worm Fang Crab looks like on EDH Rack just to see if there's in a lot of decks. So just to give you some context, it's in 177 decks. Uh, it is old as dirt. Costs a ramp, uh, a giant, um, I don't know, what, 17 cents or something to that effect. Um, it is, you know, by every metric you can possibly decide, it is garbage. Right? That's the thing. Um, is a but it is but here's the thing and why I think it might be actually mildly interesting is the fact that Wormfang Crab is a pretty sizable creature that with unblockability and uh, that's a thing <laughs> like I hate to say it unblockable creatures are a thing particularly when we're going to be getting going into Kamigawa block again and you know we're going to be getting some ninjas and hopefully some ninjutsu or some ninjutsu related ability. So creatures that are you're looking for creatures that are going to be unblockable. And here's we got one. It's it's unblockable. Now now the unfortunate part is it's gonna cost you another permanent on the battlefield. But and it's gonna be a good one, likely, because your opponents have control over um, the determination of what's gonna get exiled. 
But I look at the card like this, and this is presents an opportunity for a player who is adept at the, pol at the political game of, at, the, at the table to really get ahead and to uh, you know just make make a name for themselves by negotiating. Okay, not your best thing. Okay, like so maybe your opponents want to exile you know some really tremendous card, but if you can broker a deal with somebody and have them get something else another target, something a little bit softer, something a little bit easier for you to manage without, then I think, you know, you could actually be in for a pretty reasonable creature here for some sort of, you know, Yuriko or other black-blue build that could be kind of interesting. Um, I'm looking at the other top commanders that go along with this card. Uh, you get Cherix because you're getting into sea creatures. Uh, you're playing sea creature tribal. Sure, I suppose. Um, goes along with Chulane, and um, that's another option, I suppose. You get into some tricky things with uh, Chulane, and then you get into Morophon. And so I guess it's more sea, sea creature tribal or nightmare tribal, um, that sort of stuff. Um, you know, that's all of which are pretty cool. And if you look at the other associated cards, it's all sea creature, crab, tribal. Like, there's a lot of crab, tribal stuff. But I think if you look at this into like more the 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 unblockable nature of like of oh pardon me oh hear me the unblockable nature of Wormfang crab you could make a case where this is not a hundred percent garbage it could be reasonably interesting um so I'm less inclined to say that this is this is garbage at this point I I'm actually reasonably interested in seeing. Uh, what the, what comes down to this. Uh, also, there is the issue of um, this being a nightmare, which is, I'm going to be honest with you, it's unlikely to be um, a big a big player, but we're looking at, you know, what potential night, where nightmares fall. I'm looking right now at the other tribes if nightmares are de are a thing at this point, and I thought they were, yeah. So, um, so nightmares, you get things like Snapdax, which is you know not in the right colors. Get Nethroi, which is a nightmare as well. That's not a thing you can really get into, but there might be some some room for a, yeah. Otrimi, you get into like some some Otrimi is the ever playful is a salty colored creature. It's got nightmares, so maybe you get into some sort of nightmare tribal business with that, um, or maybe Falthus or something that you know commanders you control. I don't know. There's there's just some possibility here. Brokos is a nightmare, so it could go into a bunch of different things. Um, I'm rather you know. I, so I'm not going to rule out the idea that this could also be a nightmare sort of creature, which I think is also reasonably interesting. Um, and it goes along with things like maybe Slitherwisp and other you know creatures of, the, of that ilk that are into the nightmares. So just saying, it's another option uh, you want to take this card into. So I don't think Wormfang Crab is a terrible card. I think it actually has got some interesting features to it, which makes it a more interesting conversation than some we've had in the last number of weeks. Um, is it going to be good in many decks? No. I think this is going to be a card that is, 
you know, out of the 300 cards you pull out of a box for a deck, you might look at it and you are probably going to discard this. But I think if you're looking for something that's, you know, um, evasive, you, you're getting a pretty reasonable body. You're getting an unfortunate drawback that could be a pretty, you know, strong um, political play, actually. Um, an opportunity for you to do something kind of neat and make the game a little more interesting. So, I don't hate the Wormfang Crab. I think it's actually kind of interesting. Alright, so, um, so I guess... If I gotta come down garbage or great, I have to come down on the side of garbage still. And I know that's what the, on the on the on the spreadsheet when we keep track of these things, um, worm, fang cra worm fang crab has got to be garbage. But the discussion around it is a little more nuanced than that, and so I think it you know it could be sneaky good in the right build. All right, uh, let's move on to stuff to talk about. So. I have been in the process of writing an article, sort of wrapping up my view on Commander for the year 2021. Um, and so I wanted to sort of ha like step into some of those ideas and sort of unpack them here a little bit more on the podcast. And so I thought maybe this would be a good opportunity to do some of that. So, um, yeah, here we are, it being December the 14th. We've got about two weeks before 2021 is wrapped up and we're moving on to 2022. Um, and so what did Commander get as, um, like, you know, going forward, or sorry, looking back at the year 2021, well, I guess we'll look forward in a couple of weeks' time. Um, I've got a guest lined up that will talk about what the future of the, of the format looks like. So I think, um, you know, sort of the overwhelming uh, thought that has dominated commander and in particular most magic has been the ongoing pandemic and i think that has really shaped how the format has evolved um because what it has done is when the pandemic struck it eliminated all competitive essentially all competitive in paper play so modern pioneer even standard largely dr dried up um but the one format that was able to persist uh, in paper has been Commander. And we've seen this now. Like, so we, we went through, you know, nine months of COVID in 2020. We've gone through another full year of it here in 2021. It's not, it's, it's not receding. We're, we're still living with it, you know, very prominently. And as much as uh, there seems to be maybe a glimmer of hope at the end of the tunnel with vaccines and the fact that new variants may be less, um, less, uh, I guess, less potent with and, and you know a little less impactful in terms of knocking people flat in their back. Um, this the reality still stands. We have to take precautions to keep the public safe, um, and so you know, modern and legacy and all these great in-paper formats have been put on the back burner for the most part. Not all of them, but for the most part. But Commander, Commander has continued to flourish. Uh, and I give a lot of credit to the the advent and the development of Spell Table as being an, an avenue or an outlet that would allow us to continue to enjoy the game. Um, and that's been a big tool. But the other thing I think that's come along with that is the ease with which people can broadcast their in-paper play. Because previously, if you wanted to broadcast your in-paper play, it was kind of tricky. You'd have to have a camera set up in your living room or wherever your play space is going to be, videotape it, edit it, get it going. Right now, it's easier than ever. You could stream your your 
game through spell table out onto Twitch and then out to the world to be consumed, meaning that the focus put on Commander has never been greater. We've watched, I've watched more people play Commander in the last 18 months that or, or more than, than I've ever seen in my entire life. It isn't just the game nights from the Command Zone. Now it's you know, yes, you can catch I Hate Your Deck or I can catch the command, uh, the command Zone, but I can watch, I can turn on Twitch almost any night of the week and watch the, the Rules Committee or I can watch, you know, any number of great players, uh, fantastic people who, you know, they're never going to make a pro tour or anything, but they're terrific players, great deck construction, uh, terrific, you know, in-game play, uh, lots of great banter between great players, you know, there's lots of fantastic people out there that are starting to make a name for themselves playing Commander through this increased focus because people are, are looking for this stuff. Um, and so putting, bringing the focus in so carefully and so closely on Commander has done a lot of good for us, I think, as a whole. Um, and I think Wizards has responded by making even yet more product that is geared uniquely for us. So, you know, last year in 2020, we had the year of Commander, which was sort of something that was in the works before the pandemic struck anyway. But uh, so we got Commander Legends and a whole lot of other stuff. But it, that's continued into 2021. And so now we're getting, you know, dedicated Commander-focused secret lair drops. We're getting more pre-cons than ever before. We're having more legendary creatures in every single set. To the point where you can't ignore it you have there's just so much so much out there for us as commander players that we have to be at least a little bit overwhelmed by all the stuff that's out there and i know i personally i feel overwhelmed i've commented as much on the podcast before um that i feel a little overwhelmed by the amount of product because there's no time to adapt um so you might see new product come out, new set, new commander precon lands, a new something or other, and and they get integrated into decks by players, and not by everybody, but somebody gets excited by a new deck, a new card, a new legendary, a new whatever, and it gets absorbed into a deck, and next thing you know, you're playing it, and you've run up against it, and you're like, oh, I I, I don't even know what to, what to do or think or say about this card. How do I respond? And, uh, you know, that is that that lack of time to adapt for the format, I think, has been one of the biggest drawbacks to what we've seen. Um, And I would be really I'm really hoping we're not going to see the number of legendary creatures decrease in standard sets. I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. Uh, Kamigawa, we're going to get a million more of them because we got a million of them last time. But we're going to get a million more because that's sort of the nature of, you know, the 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 the, the environment of Kamigawa, where you're going to get you know various legendary warriors or ninja or whatever. But if we can see a tone down in the amount of stuff directed directly right at us to consume, I think it would do us all a, a, a benefit. I think it would benefit the format. I think it would benefit players. Here's why. I think it would benefit players from the standpoint of right now, many commander players, not everybody, but many commander players are still grappling with the old notion that they need to grab everything. They need to stay on top of every every product, every release, every whatever. 
And that's just not feasible anymore. Wizards has been really clear to try and point out that not everything is for you. And when we see some of these specialty products, we all sort of go and say, yeah, 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 that's not for me. But I also think that has to apply to commander players. When we see commander products, we look at a deck and we're like, there's no shame in saying that a precon doesn't appeal to you. You don't have to go and buy it. And, you know, I'm that way. Like, I look at lots of these precons and I'm like, that doesn't look very interesting. Um, and so I leave it behind. And maybe I come back to it. I'll give you an example. I left the, the Oban deck from Zendikar Rising, which was their first real kick at dropping commander product in, in association with a standard legal set. And I looked at the two sets, the Anawan deck, and then there was a then the other one was Oban, a Naya colored landfall deck, and I largely ignored them because I didn't think they were particularly interesting. Well, I've come around since to the Oban deck, and I've incorporated it into an Omnath build. But you know, I had to. It took me well, over a year now to think about it and percolate and say, yeah, actually, I'm, I'm going to do that. I'm going to grab that deck and I'm going to do something with it. Um, so that you know, but I. I let a lot of it go. There's a lot of the precons that I've let, let aside. The, the ones from Kaldheim. I've let, like, Lathril and then the the blue... Ragnar, I think, is the blue-white spirits deck. I've left them aside. The, set, the decks from, you know, uh, other sets, I've left them aside too. And have focused my energies on, you know, building other decks, which I think is cool. But, um, you know, we have to be prepared to let stuff go. And just let it go. And just say, no, that's not for me. And I think that is a really... If you can do that as a commander player, you can let some of these new things go, that's really positive for you, I think. Um, in part because I think it's going to alleviate pressure on your wallet, for starters, because buying all this stuff is expensive. But I think on top of that, you at some point we have to be able to, to, to identify to wizards that we've ha enough is enough. We There's only so much product that we all want to purchase or all want to play with and there comes a point when maybe that's not something for you and that's okay you don't have to do that the other thing and like i said i mentioned is that we don't have time to adapt it's really difficult for us as players when we have to we see these new things get adopted so quickly into decks and then how do you count what's the counterplay and that's really the issue one of the things that makes magic so great, and I think many of us can agree, is the fact that there's this counterplay. You do something, I respond. And then you see what I've done and you and someone else can respond to me. And that interplay about what I do and what you do in response, how that can how that shapes the conversation, how that shapes gameplay, how that shapes the pod, how that shapes the event, how that shapes the, the you know the time you spend together is really important to the whole discussion. And so it does take time to adapt uh, and to develop a counterplay to stuff. And so, you know, I, there's a lot of cards that get printed that are powerful to a point where people go, I, I, I don't have a response to that. As much as you might try to, you might try and build in enough silver bullets into every deck to be able to punch out whatever but sometimes something's just going to get you and you're like I don't have a way of coping with that and so I think and that which is fine like there's nothing wrong with not having an answer to it but you have to be able to adapt and so the next time you play 
that you maybe you found a solution. Maybe you've gone to, to Scryfall. Maybe you've gone to EDHREC. Maybe you've gone and talked to somebody on a Facebook group or on Reddit or wherever and gone thinking about how do you beat whatever, how do you, what's the counterplay? And we need that counterplay back. We need time to process and to come up with solutions and alternative ways of addressing issues because there's all sorts of great cards out there that can be answers, but they may not be the most obvious ones. Like, sure, anguish I'm making answers the problem pretty much every, every time or, you know, whatever other catch-all removal you have. But the truth of the matter still remains that there's a lot of things that are out there that, you know, would be interesting cards to play and maybe more affordable cards or, um, you know, have unique effects. But we need time to adapt, to go look for them, to find them, make them part of our arsenal so that we can be fully equipped to play. And that promotes that interplay. But the, this, the rate at which we've seen new stuff come firing out at us is so fast that it makes it really hard to get ahead of some of that, that, that adoption and the adaption falls behind, if you get my meaning, right? Like, we can't adapt as fast as people are adopting new strategies or new ways of, of new win cons or new things that we can't address properly. All right, so that's a to me is a big one. And I, I can't tell Wizards to go take some time off, but if they could direct their focus away from Commander so prominently for a while and allow the format to, to catch up, I think it would ultimately benefit uh, the, the format generally as, as the community um, because it would really allow players an opportunity to um, to really solidify what they're looking to do with their decks and to find appropriate answers to some of these new and very powerful cards. Um, I also feel like, to some degree, the power creep of cards is starting to dramatically impact the format in a way that may not necessarily be healthy. Like, power creep's always been part of the game. If you've played the game, I mean, I started playing the game when I was a child, like, you know, in high school, back, you know, with Revised. Revised, Fallen Empires, Ice Age. And let's be real, some of the cards in those sets were pretty terrible. To the point where, you know, I actively don't play with very many of them. Um, but we've seen more and more in contemporary design, we've focused, you know, the power levels increased, and we increasingly have plunked in commander cards at very high power levels with into in, in sets that are going to be bought by lots of people. Um, and so, you know, I use the example of Tassiger's Cruelty, which is a nothing card. Like, it really is. Tassiger's Cruelty. I'm going to pull it up here so you can see what I'm talking about. Tassiger's... Oh, I can't spell Cruelty because, you know... Spelling is hard. Task Girls Cruelty. Five and a black for a sorcery with Delve, which we know right there is broken. Each opponent discards two cards, which doesn't sound terrible, but the way it's templated, each opponent. Each opponent. That is a, that is a common, and it is templated in such a way that it's very difficult to, to play around if you're playing somebody like a Tiny Bones deck or something. So Tassiger's Cruelty is just one example, but we keep going 
And we're into things that have just, just this year snuck into the format. So let's look at by invitation only, which is, I think, going to quickly become one of the preeminent removal spell, mass removal spells of the format. So three white white for sorcery. Choose a number between 0 and 13. Each player sacrifices that many creatures. So if you're some sort of um, go-wide strategy, which white can often lend, find itself in, this could be a very, very potent board wipe, essentially. It could be leaving you in the most advantageous position with some of the most high-value high targets on the battlefield, that you could absolutely leverage to, you know, great effect here. Um, to think that they're going to sacrifice that many creatures, let's say you've got, you've gone wide, you've got uh, 10 creatures on the battlefield, All, the next uh, next greatest opponent has got three, four creatures. Sure, you're maybe, you're maybe smaller, invitation only says, oh, when everyone sacked four, they wiped their table, and you're the only one left. And I think this is going to be like tragic arrogance level played, and it's going to be one of these one-sided wrath effects. Like, like as much as yeah, I lost four tokens, four soldier tokens, or four plant tokens, or whatever. I'm still left with the most potent parts of my board, and I'm going to smash away now. This got printed into 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 standard. This is printed in uh, in the Strike Crimson Vow. And it's templated. Each player sacrifices that many creatures. Meaning, it is ideally templated for Commander. Now, I don't have... Fundamentally, do I have a problem with this? No. But again, it sort of harkens back to this idea that a lot of what we're doing is... A lot of what Wizards are doing is seeping into Commander. Um, and instead of being adopted gradually over time, it's being clubbed over the head like, you can't miss this. Like, if you are a commander player and you you pride yourself on your card valuations, I think this card is going to be pretty widely adopted by all sorts of all sorts of players. By invitation only. Let's have a, just a quick look at, you know, where it stands already, and it's been out for less, about a month. So it's in 891 decks, um, or roughly 2% of decks, which I think... And where is it being played? Um, I want to have it displayed as uh, card view. So it's being, you know, with Torrens, Adeline, Millicent, Kyler, Catilda, Liesa. So um, other top commanders include Negan, uh, Thallus, Reverent Medium, Rin and Sari, Edgar Markov, Alila, Tesa, Queen Marchesa. So. These are like some of these are like big time decks, like you know Edgar Markov decks. Um, that's a big deck. That's a big time deck. Tasa Karlov. That's another very power. Another you know very prominent deck. Um, you know, like so these things are gonna like I think over time people are gonna adopt this. But you know there we are. It's over. So it's got a thousand, almost a thousand decks, and it's been printed for less than a month. So we've got something here that people are, are quick to grab and gravitate on uh, gravitate to um similarly we have things like Archeomancer's map which i i think is absurd so 
If you haven't run up familiar with Archaeomancer's map, two and a white for an artifact. When Archaeomancer's map enters a battlefield, search library up to two basic planes, reveal them, put them into your hand, and shuffle. Okay, so it's like cultivate sort of effect, or land tax sort of effect. Whenever land enters the battlefield under an opponent's control, if that player controls more lands than you, you may put a land card from your hand onto the battlefield. So, like, this kind of does like a land taxi. Um, burgeoning sort of feel but in white and it was printed in um, the annual commander product release from this past spring so it's call it nine months old um, this is now the top white artifact that exists in the game and Archaeomancer's map fits into the top like not even top 50 cards like less than that it's in the, in the top 35 cards of all white cards being played in the format right now because of the uh, how potent it is. So Wizards has clearly deemed that this sort of card, yes, it was in a commander product, and say, well, it's in a commander product. You're right, it is. But uh, this is like geared for us and is like clubbing us over the head. You can't miss this staple. Grab it. And I think that sort of robs us of some of that that creativity, like, if you're really dedicated to playing white, how would you create this effect without playing Archimancer's map? Well, there's no point now. You're just going to play Archimancer's map. It is very obviously the most powerful tool to help a white deck ramp. All right? So the fact that we're so overtly playing into this idea of that commander is out there and you know, we're going to print super powerful, hyper-efficient staples for everybody that they can't miss is a problem. Because I feel like uh, if there's that many of them all the time, the, like, everything's the next smothering tithe. And like that just means the power level of the format just starts to go haywire as everybody adopts these the same things. But it also produces homogeneity, um, where everything's the same because everyone's going to gravitate towards playing the most powerful staples for their decks. Why would you play a different effect when you could play this effect? I don't have a solution. You wouldn't. You're going to play Archimancer's map. There's no reason not to. I was super pumped when I found a guy selling one online and I could grab a, grab one for my deck because I want to play an Archimancer's map too. So, anyway. That said, I... I'm I'm interested in the power creep, but I'm also cognizant of the fact that the power creep and being overtly clubbed over your head over the head by your by wizards of the coast is a problem because it's just making it so clear what direction they want us to do instead of allowing us to explore the space and building the decks that are customized to suit our interests and needs. So the other thing that I think I want to talk about tonight, um, is the fact that I think the relative acceptance of the com competitive EDH crowd as being mainstream and part of the, the game of Commander generally. Because I think when I started playing the game in 2014, CEDH was out there. It was something that was discussed and people talk, chatted about it, but it wasn't prominent. It wasn't on display. They had their own environments and they had their own things but now because I think in part because of the pandemic there this this minority 
of the of the commander playing community has had a forum and an opportunity to to come to the fore and share uh, its interests in with the way it, the way competitive EDH uh, wants to be played, and it's I find people are finding it very appealing actually, um, and I think because I think you know when I started playing in 2014, my recollection of it was that it was largely I guess poo-pooed or downplayed or spoken about in almost a negative sense by other players in the community. Now, I think, you know, the pandemic has really brought it out, brought it to the fore and really highlighted what it can do in part because I think people are able to see uh, CEDH streams on Twitch through Spelltable that have really brought it to the fore and really made it um, accessible for people to watch and consume and understand what they're what they're taking in. Uh, I think it's kind of interesting. It's, I think it's pretty a pretty unique uh, environment, and I hope to see that it continues to flourish and grow because people obviously love it. However, and I think this may be a bit of a hot take here, and people may not always agree with me. I do think we make, need to make a, a more pronounced distinction between those who play in a more casual way versus those who play in competitive. Um, because I can literally think of it, of all the decks that I've built here, you know, on the show or um, that I use here in paper when I play when I play with my friends, is that not a single one of my decks would last any length of time in a competitive EDH game, and yet somehow we play the same format, which I think to me is the real uh, disconnect here. Like I'm all for people if people enjoy playing that sort of high power level magic. Like, I'm all for you doing and exploring the game in the way that you want to explore it. But to call my deck a commander deck and what a competitive EDH player plays as a commander deck feels like a misnomer. Think about it this way. If I meet some random person at a store and they say, hey, what do you play? I, oh, I play commander. Oh, can I look at a deck? And I hand him my deck. And he looks at it and he goes, oh, that's cool. That's cool. That's neat stuff. I like it. Thanks. And the person sitting beside me, and they go, hey, what do you play? Oh, I play Commander. And they hand it, kind of look at your deck, he hands over a deck, and you look and you look through it, it would look fundamentally different. Fundamentally different. And somebody would have to look at my deck and look at his, and like, are these the same things? Well, they're not really. I know they get labeled as Commander decks, but they're not the same thing. And we have lacked a way to adequately convey this lack of actual ability to to convey it. You know, we've, we, we've talked about having rule zero conversations. We've talked about having uh, power rankings from zero to 10. And we've talked about, you know, other methodologies by which to categorize decks and all of them seem unsatisfactory to really create this environment, this cohesive notion of what is a competitive deck, what is a casual deck. And I think we need to start making people um, sort of think about their decks and say, where, what, what sort of play experience do I want? And more like, discern, like, separate them more, more obviously because there's a lot of bleed over still. There's a lot of bleed over where somebody who builds their deck isn't aware that it, you know, is verging on being CDH level, power level, 
and then you get somebody who shows up with a with a with a deck that is, you know, crab tribal like we had earlier, and these are two different animals. And it's like you're asking them to have a fight, and who's going to turn out the winner? Well, the the cheetah over there with the with the, the, the powerful back back legs and the speed, and it's going to make short work of one a, a more casual deck, and so. Um, I think we need to do something to sort of make some sort of distinction for for people to understand what they're looking at. What sort of what sort of animal do you have? Because you could have a cheetah or you could have a gerbil. They're two different things. You would yes, they're both animals, but you wouldn't put them together in the same cage and say play because very quickly the cheetah would make short work of the gerbil. That's how I'm sort of looking at commander decks. My my gerbil, that is my deck, isn't going to last very long with the cheetah in the cage. So um, it is a concern for me, and I would like to see something addressed about it. Maybe we can maybe so this, this can start a bit of a conversation in the community about um, I don't know, like just having that conversation. Do they need separate ban lists? Do we, how do we talk about a, com a competitive deck? How do we talk about a casual deck? Um, and I think people are innovating on that all the time because I keep seeing new, cool Rule Zero conversations, which I think is part of the discussion, but I think there's more to it than that. So anyway, that's where I'm at with the format, um, sort of where I see it at come near the end of 2021. Um, CDH is on the rise, um, Commander being the top paper offering and, and lots of benefits to come from that, and uh, you know just generally the format and being in a very um, innovative position right now where I, I could really, I would really like the chance to, to, to adapt to all the changes that have gone on um, and allow some of my decks to, to catch up with the, all the changes. But... I think ultimately the format is very healthy and is very much the backbone of what's making Match the Gathering um, alive and flourish and exciting uh, coming into 2022. So um, next week, uh, Lux and I will be going over some of our, our top cards from the year. Um, but I think I wanted to get, before I got to there, I wanted to have a conversation about sort of where I thought the format had progressed as a whole um, and a more holistic view rather than looking at individualized cards and such. All right, so we're going to move on to segment three tonight, which is going to be, we're going to have a, we're going to have a chance to review um, an old set. So we're going to have a look at uh, War of the Spark, which is where we got to. We last did a review like this of, of a set at, um, in, I guess it was episode 55. And so we we finally picked it back up again after we have a bit of a lull here um, as we go into the new year in Kamigawa is a, is a few months away, so let's get down to business. So, all right, let's look at the commanders that are afforded us in War of the Spark. And I know people, um, War of the Spark was really interesting because it was the first time we had been given so many planeswalkers, including some at the uncommon level, which you know, we've never seen that before. We every planeswalker up to this point had always been a rare, sorry, a mythic rare, and now. People don't really blink, and we have uncommon walkers, we have rare walkers, we have um, mythic walkers, and you know, War of the Spark really sort of put that dynamic on its ear. And I think that was by far and away the most innovative thing that they that, that the 
that Wizards did with the set. But consequently, because there was so much focus on the Planeswalkers, the actual level of numbers of commanders that can get played is reasonably modest compared to what we would see today. And what's funny is uh, War of the Spark came out in 2018, which is mm, not quite... It feels like it's not that long ago, really, to be perfectly blunt. Um, but if you look at a, an average set today, um, you're going to get very high number of legendary creatures that have popped up with every single every single set. So let's have a look here. In uh, there's 16 alone in Commander. Sorry, in Crimson Vow. All right, so we have 16 in Crimson Vow. And then add in how many there are in the commander pro associate commander product. There's a further um, well. There's I guess there's another seven. So it's twenty three between the two product offerings, which are essentially set uh, cards that are set for uh, commander consumption. So we're looking very much at you know, a much different number of commanders for um, for War of the Spark. So we have 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16. So fundamentally not that much different than what was afforded to us in regular Crimson Vow, but when you add in what's in the commander product, we have quite a big difference. Okay, uh, where were we? Um, all right, so we're talking about the 16, so 16 commanders in War of the Spark. We had 16 in Crimson Vow, so they're roughly comparable. Um, the difference now being that we get a whole bunch of, um, of commander-related ones as well. So let's go through some of the ones from War of the Spark that were our big hitters. So we have Feather the Redeemed, which is like the, which is the top Boros commander by a long shot. Um, and Feather is, uh, you know, it, it, the, the deck seems to play out the same way. It's combat tricks and... Um, card advantage generated through what Feather's ability to exile tr uh, things that target it um, and, and target other, other creatures you control. So it's, having seen it, it's kind of on rails. I don't think it's particularly um, exciting nor do I find it particularly interesting. But, you know, 3,777 people have decided that they're going to register this deck on EDH Rec, making it by far and away the top commander in the set by a long shot. niv Mizzet Reborn uh, is five color, uh, just good stuff but five color stuff in a way that is interesting in the sense that you need to be playing um, two color cards to, in order to maximize your card draw so you're playing cards that are tied to any, the the 10 guilds or in the, you, so you can't play a three colored card you can play you know a card that is like you can play Slesnia charm you can play um, you can play I don't know like a blue-black Demir card. You can play a Gruul card. You can play whatever, but you can't play a Mardu card because Mardu won't won't work along with with uh, Mizzet's ability. Uh, God Eternal Ketra has 933 decks, and it is you're casting a God Eternal Ketra and just getting zombie value um, because every other creature you cast creates more zombies and just overrun the board. Um, I think Oketra is actually reasonably interesting because. The God Eternals were are reasonably difficult to remove, uh, making them more interesting than some options. Um, many commanders, when they die, make it, make it very challenging to uh, 
to, to recast them at some point because of the commander tax. You can circumvent that to some degree with your God Eternals. So God Eternal Ketra is the top one mono white, which makes it kind of interesting. Tolsmere, Friend of Wolves, you're playing green-white wolves everywhere. There's 638 decks of that. God Eternal Kefnet. Uh, now you're looking to exile things at the top of your at the top of your so not, not exile sorry um, make copies of spells off the top of your deck um, so it's mono blue spells a, spell, a very highly spell slinger deck which is pretty neat Krenko Tin Street Goblin with 404 decks is a goblin deck and goblin decks galore Ilharg the Raised Boar has got 375 decks and that is just cheating out big things uh, with Ilharg um, so it's reasonably good. Rolesk Apex Hybrid is a Simic colored commander that has got um, kind of a neat ability. We built a deck here on the show a long time ago. So it's two green, green, blue for a 4 5 legendary creature, human mutant, flying with flying a trample. When Rolesk Apex Hybrid enters the battlefield, put two plus one plus one counters on another target creature you control. And then when Rolesk dies, proliferate, then proliferate again. So. That's a lot of proliferation, um, to, to say the least. So let's have a look at what the deck might look like if you're looking at Rolesk. You know, a couple of directions you take this thing. Um, you can take it in the way of um, being a big proliferate deck with things like Evolution Sage and Flux Channeler, both of which are uh, very powerful cards that were also from War of the Spark that played on the proliferation ability. But you get things like Thrumming Bird, um, an inexorable tide. It's just a lot of really powerful effects to really maximize your counters. It look it can often look like a plus one plus one counter deck, but I could also see this looking like an, an infect deck. Blue green infect is a thing, uh, particularly if you're playing you know triumph of the hordes and things like that. But I think the easier way to play this is more like playing counters, uh, plus one plus one counters on a green blue in a blue green blue green deck. Uh, Masker Girl has 294 de uh, decks. That is a mono black, uh, everything going to die a lot deck. So, yeah. Neheb the Dreadhorde Champion is, an, uh, is, is another interesting, pardon me, is another interesting red commander. Now, I think this is the inferior Neheb. There are three Nehebs that have been uh, printed. There's uh, Neheb Dreadhorde uh, Champion, which is this one. Um, you know, the other Neheb, which is Neheb the Eternal, uh, is very clearly the one you want to be running, which is the one that deals damage to everything. Uh, you're dealing lots of... Yeah, yeah, this is the one. At the beginning of your post-combat main phase, add red to your mana pool for each life your opponents have lost this turn. So it's a big old, like, red, I guess, like, almost like a... Oh, jeez some sort of like, mana geyser or something like that. Like, just a big old mana producing deck that you're just going to fireball your opponents and the pain train isn't going to stop. All right, this Dreadhorde Champion is a little bit different in terms of how it functions. So it says, um, so it's a trampler for two and a red red. It's a 5-4, and it says, whenever Neheb Dreadhorde Champion deals combat damage to a player or a planeswalker, you may discard any number of cards. If you drew, draw that many cards and add that much red mana. Until end of turn, you don't lose this mana as steps and phases end. So you've got to deal combat damage to your opponent. you got to discard cards. You can make some mana, and it could be it could be interesting um but i think the dread have the eternal is by far and away the better choice 
Mowu, loyal companion, uh, plays right into plus one, plus one counters. I don't think you're really going to want to build a deck around it too frequently. Uh, there's 269 of those. Thibblethip ends up being a reasonably interesting card um, because it's like a land, uh, an Elvish Visionary on a legendary creature, and you can do quite, quite a number of interesting things with it um, if you can cast it from your deck. But I think because the trigger says cast it from your deck, people don't tend to want to play it as a commander. Uh, Store of Divkar and Lich. Uh, this is this is a this is, this, this card is not good. Uh, two black black green for a five four with trample. Whenever Store of Divkar and Lich deals combat damage to a player or planeswalker, return to your hand target creature or planeswalker card in your graveyard that wasn't put there this combat. I'm gonna be honest with you. This ability is reasonably hard to trigger, and is not particularly interesting in most cases. If you're going to play a reanimator deck uh, with um, a black-green commander, why are you not playing um, something like Marin? Just, just put it out there. So, I don't think that this is a particularly interesting card. I think you're probably better off, you know, doing some, having this play along with... Uh, as well, frankly, as a, you know, in the '99 of something like Marin, so it goes along with like who other who else is played with Kethis, um, Abomination Lanor, Reese the Exiled, Gerard, Zoni, Savra, Cheville, like anything that's a black green deck, like goes deck wants to play this way more than you want to play Storev as a actually as a commander. That's just my honest opinion there, folks. So, uh, Then we have God Eternal Bontu and God Eternal Ronus um, tailing up the end here. Um, again, neither of these are hugely overwhelming. God Eternal Ronus could be interesting, leading to, you know, when you enter the battlefield, you get an interesting uh, trigger. I think God Eternal Ronus and Bontu are both better in the 99 than they ever are as commanders, but they're interesting. And then you have Tomic Distinguished Advocist, which has got 35 decks in his trash. So, don't play Mono like Tomic. Other interesting cards in the set. So, you get Dovin's Veto, um, because Negate needed an upgrade. Pfft. Yeah, no. Uh, as someone who doesn't really love um, blue counterspells, it makes me a little bit sad to get Dovin Veto as often as I do. Um, there's D Spark. Uh, D-Spark is a very efficient removal spell that gets adopted widely in black-white decks, so don't turn that up. Narset Parter of Veils was very impactful in the set, is still very impactful, uh, does a lot of damage uh, in the sense that because of the static ability that prevents you from drawing additional cards after your first one, you can wheel the table and or you can Teferi's Puzzle Box them and they're going to all cry. Finale of Devastation uh, is a big green finisher. It goes like, mostly to go find your Crater Hoof Behemoth. Bulls of Citadel is an absurd card that allows you to just cast everything off the top of your deck. Just awesome. Uh, Nurse's Reversal is a very powerful effect. Um, allows you to duplicate spells, put them back in your hand, uh, steal them from your opponents. It's really, really very powerful. Spark Double, uh, an excellent clone effect, and because the thing's removed, gets uh, has the legendary creature clause removed from it, you can play it on your commander, which is fun. 
Uh, we get Teferi Time Raveler, which means you fundamentally break the game because no one can cast instants of sorceries. Mayhem Devil and Sacrifice decks are very powerful. Um, so it got played lots in Standard and lots of more sacrificing of things in Commander. Neoform uh, has spawned a good old uh, modern deck that can have a one-turn combo, but anytime you have tutor effects or creatures and stuff like that, you need to watch out. Nicol Bolas, Dragon God, is um, is pretty interesting. Um, just a big old Nicol Bolas there. Nissa, who shakes the world. Um, this is the Nissa that whenever you tap forests, you get double green. Uh, you ramp out huge with this. Karn the Great Creator. Um, well, this is uh, a very powerful card because it shuts off all your opponent's artifacts. Uh, that, that alone is reason enough to play this. You can't use the wishboard feature of Karn the Great Creator, but the fact you can turn off your opponent's uh, artifacts is very potent. Flux Channel and Evolution Sage both appear on this list. Also, they appear in um, in the set as very powerful cards. So, yep. Lazatap Plating is just a good protection spell to give your thing hexproof and then a mass one. Nothing fancy, but just really useful. And then Grateful Apparition. This is a color-shifted Thrumming Bird. And, uh, yeah, this just good. Just a good card. Because um, you get more proliferation. All right, so let's have a look at this week's deck, which is, um, when I've talked about this, I actually there's an article to go along with this uh, on uh, Three King, the Three Kings Loot website, which I where I've taken the idea of Omnath, Locus of Creation, and I've crossed it with the Oban Precon. All right, so... Folks, I'm trying to... I always try to build decks as affordably as I can. And um, it can get expensive to run an Omnath deck. Um, Omnath can really lend itself to being a very expensive card. And right now, Omnath is $10.68, um, according to what I'm seeing here. But, um, you know, like, when you come out of bucks. And, you know, trying to keep your deck under 100, you got to do some interesting things to try and keep the cost down. And what I tried to do was I tried to match it with um, with the Oban deck from Zendikar Rising and piggyback off at the Oban framework, inserting some extra cards to try and bolster it because I found the deck from the Oban deck, apart from Oban, was largely, mm, what's the word I'm looking for? Poopy. Um, so anyway... Uh, let's have a look at what we've got as far as um, as some of the, the cards included in the deck. So you get Omnath, Locus of Creation, as your commander. Um, then a lot of the cards are all things that care about landfalls. A lot of the creatures. You get Ammunition Angel. You get Ancient Green Warden, which cares about landfall triggers. You get Cosimo, which cares about landfall. You get Corsair Crufix, which cares about lands. Amiria Angel, which cares about lands. Amiria Shepherd, Geo Rager, um, you know, Maya, uh, Maha, Bredegar Protector, uh, Maloku, Minan Den, Morog, uh, Multani, Oban for sure, oh, the other Omnath, Phylath, Rampaging Baloths. These are all cards that care, Scoot Swarm, that care about land drops. And collectively, they're all reasonably affordable. All right? So you're playing into this land, this, this landfall ability. How do I get? And then I need to get as much land as I can into play. So how am I doing that? 
So you're going to play um, Sakura Tribe Elder for starters. You're going to play Core Cartographer for as a second way. Um, Corsair Crucifix allows you to get some off the top. Beanstalk Giant, which allows you to go get some. Circuitous Root. <coughs> uh, Kadama's Reach. Urban Evolution. Haro. Um, you know, Roiling Regrowth. These are all just effective tools to allow you to go and get more lands, put them into, battlef into the battlefield, and get there. Um, you also want additional land drops, so you're going to play your um, your your Karoo lands, because you can pick up lands and play them again. You're going to play things like uh, your Anaya Panorama, Myriad Landscape, Evolution, uh, Evolving Wilds, um, Terramorphic Expanse, whatever you got to try and sacrifice them and get more lands into play. Alright, um, your the next pieces you need to remember is how to protect this all. So, your creatures are reasonably fragile to board wipes, so you end up having to find ways to protect them, even from your own board wipes, because you have, you st this deck packs a few, you have a time wipe, you have a planar outburst, you have a flood of tears, which are all, all essentially board wipes, Two of them destroy things. So you want to protect your board so you don't lose everything, but your opponents do. So you got things like Make a Stand, Boros Charm, uh, Wrap and Vigor, which are all cards that are going to allow you to um, protect your board state and not necessarily have them all die or get returned if you can help it. Uh, you also get Arcane Denial, Counterspell, uh, and negates, which are just effective tools at combating a wide range of, 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 tr of troublesome things. So yeah, no, the, the the protection there isn't too bad. I actually took this deck out for a spin last week, and it was it played better than I thought it was going to. And then we have some enchantments, so you get Druid Class, you get Felidar Retreat, Rites of Flourishing. Rites of Flourishing was actually one I actually really, really like. A um, little under the radar there, but... Um, as much as it's got some group hug elements to it, I think also the extra land drop from our end is really important. Teferi's Ageless Insight is very strong too. Uh, Mending of Dominaria. Verity Circle, which I think is an underappreciated card because I think this can be, replace the the Ristic Study that people play so frequently in their decks. Ristic Study being a $30 card and Verity Circle costing 15 cents. Um, because if you think about it, so Verity Circles, probably you haven't remembered this one, is whenever a creature an opponent controls becomes tapped, if it isn't being declared as an attacker, you may draw a card. And you can spend two in a, sorry, four in a blue, tap target creature without flying. I really think there's a lot of um, utility creatures that are out there that tap and are going to allow you to power your Verity Circle and draw... You know, let's be honest. Once you've drawn two cards off of it, you've you you've replaced it and then some, and you're doing well. And I think you can probably get more out of Verity Circle. I think it's actually a very good card, and shouldn't be overlooked. All right. Um, and then the mana base is very simple. Um, I've kept it as as neat and tidy as I can. Very affordable. Um, so you you know probably the most expensive thing in the deck would be Canopy Vistas and Cinder Glades, which are, you know, which are technically our rare lands, but are reasonably affordable um, in, that, in that they're under a dollar each. Now, grand total of this deck is $84. So well under, tw uh, well under the 100 that we usually pitch, 
but that's okay. <coughs> As we say each and every week, this isn't just supposed to win you the game uh, or clobber a competitive EDH deck. This is to get you in the in the game, uh, in the battle, in the game, playing and enjoying the experience of playing with your friends at a reasonable price point. Obviously, you can do a lot to upgrade this deck um, to really give it, um, you know, your own customization, your and your own twist. But I think it is uh, well worth the chance to explore it. Um, and I think at 84 bucks, it's sort of a, a very interesting uh, point with which to get in at, and enjoy it. All right. Okay. Good show. All right, let's move to wrap this one up there, folks. So um, I want to thank everybody for, for tuning in and listening right through the bitter end. I know it's just me talking this tonight, but I think I had lots to say, and hopefully I offered a little something for everybody to enjoy. Um if you want to leave some feedback, by sure, feel free to email us here at the, the Epic Experiment Podcast at the Epic Experiment Podcast at gmail.com. The link to the, to the email address will be in the show notes, so you can certainly go find it there if you can't recall it. Uh, if you want to reach out to us on Twitter, the, our handle is at EpicEXPCast. Um, and as always, you can always find all of our decks on Moxfield and check them out under the Epic Experiment Podcast, all one word. And you can find all the decks from the show right from the very beginning. Um, on, on any platform that you're listening to us, ask a comment. <laughs> there we go. I did it again. Leave a question. Leave a comment. Like, follow, subscribe, whatever. Whatever you can do to help get the word out there and bring a little bit more attention that we're here each and every week. We're doing the best we can um, to have you guys hear us talk about Commander. And we'd love to share it with all of you. So uh, come and join us. All right. Next week, we're going to be talking about our top cards from 2021. Um, so, yeah, it'll be a busy show. But that is for next week. Until then, this is everybody here at the Epic Experiment Podcast signing off, wishing you all the best wherever you need to be Thanks so much, everybody. Take care. Have yourself a great day. See you next time.